Is that better? Okay. Could you hear me anyway? Okay. Anyway, so uh, Sabine's going to have to do the thing. Uh, that's the first verse we're going to look at. Um, it is Genesis 3.15. I'm going to open my Bible. Um, I'm, uh, I, I'm using my New American Standard because I'm comfortable with it. You know, it's what I study in. I know where everything is. If I got another Bible, I'd be looking in the wrong place on the page for the verse because I, I don't know where it's at. Okay, and it says, I will put enmity. Now, by the way, you've got to get the context here. This is with, uh, at the time of the fall of man when Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree and uh, disobeyed God in the process. And uh, now he's dealing, excuse me, now he's dealing with Satan. I thought I had this thing hooked on right, but maybe I didn't. He's dealing with Satan, and this is what he says to Satan. Now, he's actually called a serpent in this passage, but we know who he is. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, it's pretty vague as you read it, unless you know the background, unless you know a lot of other stuff that comes later. But he's talking about the one who would eventually come through the seed of the woman. And that, we know, is our Lord Jesus Christ. But we, they didn't know it then. It's pretty unclear. But we can see some things in this. Number one, there's going to be a conflict. There's going to be a conflict between Satan's seed, or maybe actually I think it's going to be Satan himself, and the seed of the woman. And there's going to be a resolution. And we can see that in uh, the fact of the wounds that they both get. It says here, He shall bruise you on the head, and you will bruise him on the heel. Now, if somebody was going to take a hammer and hit you, where would you like to be hit? If you had to have a hit, you had to take a hit. On the heel or on the head? Well, we know. Somebody hits you on the head, you're liable to die. You know, bruise your brain and uh, so on. This thing is really an irritation. Um, but if you hit you on the heel, you go and limp off someplace. So the heel bruise is not terminal. The head bruise probably is if they hit hard enough. And it's kind of like the Lord is saying to the serpent, 
you started this, but we're going to finish it. And there was a plan. There was a plan not revealed here, but revealed later on in the Scriptures. And we're going to look at that, some of that. But for God, there was going to be, a call it a champion. Actually, a Savior. But He's a champion. He's the one that's going to take the fight to the enemy and prevail. And of course, we know about that champion. But let's, let's look at some other verses. Next slide, please. Okay, this is Deuteronomy 18.15. Deuteronomy, of course, was written by Moses. It wasn't written by him, but it was spoken by him. And um, transcribed. And we have the record. And this says, this is, shows the progressiveness of the revelation, you see. So Moses says, the Lord your God, this is verse 15, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and from your countrymen, and you sh shall listen to him. What do we learn here? That this champion is going to be a prophet. Now the next slide. Psalm 2, 6. Psalm 2, 6. This is a wonderful psalm, but we're just going to pull a verse here. We'll start with verse 5. This is the Lord God speaking. Then He will speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury. And then He says something. Now He's quoted. The psalmist is quoting the Lord God. But as for me, I have installed my king upon my holy mountain in Jerusalem. Doesn't actually say that. I misquoted that. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. King James says, I have set him on my mountain in Zion. He is going to be the king. So he's not only a prophet, but he's a king. Now the next slide. Psalm 110.2. Psalm 110.2. It should be up there if you just want to look at it. Here, we can't go into these. But they're all wonderful psalms. Verse 2, The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thine enemies. Who's he talking to? The champion. The king, you see. He's going to rule. Now go to verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. Thou art a priest forever 
according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's not only a prophet, this champion. He's not only a, a priest, I mean a, um, a king, but he's a priest. And in this one, he's shown forth as both a king and a priest. A king-priest, like Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which was the old word name for Jerusalem. He was a king and he was a priest. And he blessed Abraham after the battle with, um, after the rescue of Lot. Okay, the next slide. And you'll see, I want to go to 714, but let's move on to the next slide. Because we have Matthew 123. This is my little slide, to, my little trick to keep from trespassing in Isaiah. We go to Matthew, which is a quote of Isaiah. Matthew chapter 1, and that is verse 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So what we see here is uh, the virgin is going to have a child and this is where a lot of controversy came in years past. Um, they wanted to say it was just a young woman, but it's actually a virgin. We're not looking at the idea of virgin here right now. We're looking at Emmanuel. And here's the wonderful truth. He's not only a prophet and a king and a priest, but He's God Himself. God among us. That's who we're talking about today. Now, Malachi 4.2. This is an interesting verse. And what I, it kind of sets the way for the metaphor that I want to kind of look at here. Verse 2 says, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. That's all we need to look at. The Son of Righteousness. Now, if you go to the next slide, here's my interpretation. You see, but for you who fear my name, the Son, S O N, of Righteousness, will arise with healing in His wings. This, whole, this chapter is about this champion, the Son of Righteousness, like the sunrise coming up, is, is going to come up and it says He's going to have healing in His wings. I want to look at... Um, Luke chapter 1. What? It's already a quarter to 12, and I haven't even gotten started yet. That isn't right. Okay. 
I have an outline. And the outline, you can go the next slide. I know you're going to laugh at my outline, but it speaks, we're kind of looking at it like a metaphor in a way. It's not a professional outline. It doesn't have all R's or ID, all D's or anything like that. See? Have you ever, have you ever gone out before the sun came up? You know, the guys in the military are probably out exercising before the sun comes up. And you look off over in the east in the winter and you'll see just a little flicker of light down over the mountains. That's first light. That's the Annunciation concerning John. And then it gets a little lighter as the sun starts coming up, you can see that dawn spread across. And that's um, starting to spread across. And that's the second part. It's getting lighter, the Annunciation of Christ. And then it gets to where you can see your hand in front of your face. Or you can see other things around you. And so that's the third one. I can see things. That's Mary visits Elizabeth. These are three sections I'd like to go over. And I'm afraid I'm not going to have time. So let's dig into it. Verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5 of Luke. We're not going to look at these verses on slides. We're going to look at them. You can turn there and just follow along from now on. There was in the days of Herod, king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. So here was a son of Aaron. And Aaron, of course, was a high priest. And it was through his line that all the priests in Israel came. He was of the tribe of Levi. We can go to the next slide now. Because I want to show you a little bit about the structure here. Now this doesn't work. Well, anyway, this is a day when nothing works right. You have Aaron. Aaron was a priest. Aaron had four sons. Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. Nadab and Abihu died while they were conducting the service of the tabernacle because they took strange fire in and tried to burn the incense on the table of incense in the tabernacle. They died. Two sons survived, Eliezer and Ithamar. And through the lines of Eliezer and Ithamar came the priests of Israel during, those day, during the days that they traveled in the wilderness and later on when they were in Jerusalem. Under David, 
David got things ready for Solomon, his son, to build the, 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 the temple. And David organ, organized the priesthood into 24 courses. And each course served for a week. They had it all organized out. Eliezer had 16 men. Ithamar had 8. And that made 24. Eliezer's line prospered more than Ithamar's did. And Abijah was the 8th person mentioned in these courses. And Zacharias, you'll see here in verse 5, he was of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. So here, this is the pedigree. This couple's going to have a child. But they're really old. Now we don't know how old they are. The Levites could serve. They, they had to do with the things of the temple, but not the ministry. They could serve from age 25 through 50. But Aaron, apparently the Aaronites, Aaron served all through the whole 40 years of the desert wanderings. And, and uh, right up until the end, it passed to his son Eliezer to be high priest when he was about to die. So apparently there was no age limit on the priests. So we don't know how old these people were. They may have been 60, may have been 70, you see. And it says they were blameless in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. That doesn't mean they were perfect. It means that they were careful to keep the revealed Word of God in their lives. You know, the... Ten Commandments and all the rules had to do with offerings and all that type of thing. I cannot believe that probably sometime in their marriage they had disagreements and that Elizabeth could get exasperated with her husband for the things he did and that Zacharias could be short with his wife on occasions. You know, like marriage is, at least that's what I hear. Mine was kind of like that too. And, uh, but they were regular people. And they were probably pretty much nobodies. You know, no, not outstanding. Not leaders, just folks. Now, verse 8, it came about while he was performing his priestly service in the appointed order of his division, the eighth division. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Um... You know, I think there's another slide. Go to the next slide. Let's see what it is. Yeah, this is the um, 
this is the um, tabernacle, the layout of the tabernacle. So we need this here. Okay, so he was going to offer the incense. Now what was this about? Every morning and every night, somebody from the house of Aaron, a male, a priest, would take some of the coals off of the brazen altar where these animals had been sacrificed. They had taken them in a little censer, probably a little cup on the end of a, of a stick of some sort. And they'd go inside to this place number two, since I don't have a pointer. That is the altar of incense. And they would put the coals on there and they'd take the incense and put it on the coals and that would vaporize this material and form a gas would go up. And if you look in Revelation, I, I can't tell you the chapter and verse now, but it, it states outright that incense is like the prayers of the saints. This was kind of a ceremony where you had the prayers of the saints going up. And it was a picture of it. Verse 10, the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense burning. But something happened. It's very, not everybody, no, nobody but a priest could go inside that holy place. The first part. But he looked up and there was a man standing there. Now this is very unusual. They had no idea. He didn't understand what was going on. Verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing in the right to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him and fear gripped him. And you can... Maybe we can't imagine it like he did because we're not that familiar with it. But it was very, very out, uh, not the norm. And the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor and be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous and so on. This is a prediction of John the Baptist in his coming. And he's going to be the forerunner. You see, the plan is being worked out. And the interesting thing is, it's being worked through people. Not through the high priest. Not through, it isn't going to be the wife of a prominent person that's going to have this child. It's just an ordinary line priest, you might say, in some little town in Judah. And uh, now, Zacharias hears it. How And he said, verse 18, How shall I know this for certain? 
For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Well, I guess he thought the days of miracles were over. But if he had just stopped and think, Abraham was 99 years old. And Sarah was 90 years old. And the Lord brought forth a son. He was out of line. He didn't believe. He really wasn't sure that this was going to take place. And we don't have time to get into the to the um, what happened next. We'll go to verse 24. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. She kept herself in seclusion for five months. She didn't let anybody know she was pregnant for five months. So that's first light. The first beam of light that came up. The annunciation to Zacharias that he was going to have a son and that he was going to be the forerunner of God's champion, Israel's anointed one, the Messiah. Now we'll go to more light. Verse 26 of the same chapter. Uh, go to the next slide, will you? Okay. Uh, now in the sixth month, by the way, the sixth month of what? The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, you see. The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Nazareth, of course, in Galilee or up north of Jerusalem, about 40, 50 miles. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now to the pedigree. Who is Mary and who is Joseph? David had a, a sorry experience in his life. And the result was, without going into all the details, he took a, a woman to be his wife named Bathsheba. And uh, from Bathsheba, we have two people. Well, there were four, actually. Go to the next slide. No. Yo, no, this is right. First Chronicles 3 5. There was born to him in Jerusalem Shemiah, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. Four by Bathsheba, Bathsheba, the daughter of Emil. Bathsheba means daughter number seven. It actually, they say in that culture, probably meant daughter of the oath. Bathsheba is another name for Bathsheba. And she was the daughter of opulence or the daughter of riches. Could be that she got this name after she became David's wife because, of course, he was fabulously wealthy. And um, so... Only two of those are in question here. Nathan and Solomon. Go to the next slide, if you will. 
from Solomon, we have we get the genealogy in Matthew one, and in verse sixteen of Matthew one, the genealogy goes all the way through till it hits Joseph, and I think. Let me read that here. And to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom uh, by whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. You notice very carefully the wording of this. Joseph is, is the husband of Mary, by whom was born the Christ. So this is this is the genealogy of Joseph. Now the next slide. Now we see in the line of Nathan, who of course was the brother of Solomon, there's another genealogy. And it's recorded in Luke. And, and most people that I've read, everybody that I've read, says that this is actually the genealogy of Mary. So what we have here, you know, with with Zacharias and and Elizabeth, if they were 100% from Aaron. And what we see here is that with uh, Joseph and Mary, they were 100% of the line of David. So the pedigree is perfect. You can see how God is working His plan. You see. And He's he's arranging these people, choosing these people to be in the line of His dear Son. I've outrun my notes here. Um, you'll see, let me get to my notes on this. Verse 28 and 29. And coming in, He said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And that was the greeting. The message is, we'll read it quickly. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. All of this is so Jewish. This is so Israeli. He's going to be king of the Jews. Verse 33, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Now Mary has a question. And she says, how can this be? Since I am a virgin. 
Now, this wasn't a this wasn't a matter of doubt that the Lord would do it or could do it. This was a matter she needed a little bit of information because these are touchy areas. And so the angel tells her, the Holy Spirit, this is verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God, not a son, another Son of Man, but the Son of God. And he makes another statement, which really she catches and really gets her. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, we don't know what kind of relative, I don't know how they were related. One was from the house of Aaron, the other from the house of David or Judah, you see. But some kind of a relative to her. Uh, she has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. So, Uh, Mary says, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. And now we're to the third place in the outline. I can see things. Verse 39 and 40. <laughs> Now, I know you guys have seen pregnant women. And you know what pregnant women are like when they're pregnant. And there's another pregnant woman around. They're kind of like magnets. They get together, you know. <laughs> oh, how you doing, you know. When's your baby due and all this kind of stuff. Well, this is what happens here. Verse 39. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Mary. Now this is no fault, no, no small feat. Next slide, if you will. You can't see it very well. If I had a stick or something, uh, I would point it out to you. But here is Jerusalem right here. And Nazareth is way up there where it says Galilee. Is somebody pointing something? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, that's a trip. That's quite a trip. If I were to say to you, let's, let's take a trip. Okay, where you want to go? Tucson. Good. I'll get in my car and we'll go. No, let's walk. <laughs> Different, big deal. Is it, walking is not so, not so cool. And there were two ways you could go. You could go right straight down, due south, right straight down a bunch of mile, uh, um, a bunch of uh, hills there. 
But if you did that, you had to go through Samaria. And Samaria was a dangerous place to travel. And so, they, most of the time, they would uh, take Nazareth and go right over here. They might cross the Jordan River. They might stay on this side. But they'd come right down the Jordan River till they got to Jericho. And from Jericho, they would start that climb. Now, the, the level, Jericho is not much higher than the, than the Dead Sea, the big lake there. And that, the Dead Sea is about 1,500 feet below sea level. 1,500 feet below sea level. Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level. So if they're gonna, if she's gonna travel, not only does she have the dangerous route through Samaria, but it can be kind of dangerous the other way, especially when you start up that Jericho road and head for Jerusalem. It's about 18 miles. You have 4,000 feet of elevation climb, and there are bandits along the way. So Mary doesn't just pack a suitcase and go. I don't know how she went. I kind of speculate that there were probably caravans that traveled on a regular basis, maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks. And you, if you wanted to go down to Jerusalem, or up to Jerusalem in this case, then you attached yourself to a caravan, and you went with the caravan, and then you had relative safety. However she did, she got down there. And she walked in, and something happened when she walked in. Verse 41, And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now as you read this, you have Elizabeth saying something and you have Mary saying something. But you kind of got to put a little flesh on the skeleton here. Here's two women who are, in a sense, nobodies. They come from important families. But they're not outstanding. Nobody knows anything about them. And they're both pregnant. And they're both pregnant because it's miraculous. And it's, it's going to be the turning point of history. It's going to be the most important thing that ever happened outside of the cross. And here are these two women who are relatively nobodies who are right in the center of it. Now, it's more than getting together and saying what you do, date, and how you're doing, and all this kind of stuff. They're sitting there and saying, can you believe the very hope of Israel? And we're right in the middle of it. And they're just awed. It brings me to tears. 
listen to what Elizabeth says. And I don't think, you know, I think when they came in, they sat down and neither one of them had been talking on the phone or emailing or anything. You know? It's brand new. Elizabeth didn't know didn't know what was going on with Mary, and Mary didn't know what was going on with Elizabeth. And I can just see them getting together and comparing notes and talking and saying what's going on and just being thrilled, overjoyed. And you see it in what they say. And Elizabeth, I think, after they cried, after they uh, got together, Elizabeth, she says, Blessed among them women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. I think that's an evidence of the Spirit of God in that baby boy right in the womb. It was something. And Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord. You can break it down. Um, starting with verse 45 through 49. In the fact that what it meant to her personally. My, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from the time from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You you can see her gratitude. You can see her insight in um, the, what's happening to her in this. I know I'm going over, but if we're, we're going to be done here in just a minute. In verse 50 through 53, she talks about how the, how the Lord has done things for other people. And then she says in verse 54 and 55, I think so significant, has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. She goes back and she ties it in to the promise that God made to Abraham. We call that the Abrahamic covenant. And he made a promise that I'm going to take you, Abraham. I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And I'm going to give you this all this land that you have here. And so she ties in what's happening to her into that promise that God made to Abraham for the nation of Israel.
Verse 56. Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned home. Now I have a question for you women. What do you think happened here? Did she stay for the birth of Elizabeth's baby? Or did she leave just before? She was six months alone, right? And she stayed there three months, full term. I think she left myself before the baby came. What do you think? You can. You don't know. There's one thing that I didn't go over. I go back to verse 38. Be it done to me according to your word. This young lady. Some people think she is 15. I don't think she was. I think she's, she had to be older than that. She had too much maturity, too much insight. I think she was 18, 19, something like that. And, um, but she, she was so willing to let God have His way in her life. And I wonder how much we are, I include myself, um, how much we are willing, how much, how easily would it be for us to say, be it done to me according to your word. Um, that was specific to this circumstance. But what we really need is a heart like Mary's. And when, you know, I think of all of you women here, there's older women, there's young women, middle-aged women. And uh, uh, do we have a heart like Mary? And how would we get it? Like Mary. Willing for whatever the Lord is going to bring. You can tell the Lord that. You know? You can say with your, within yourself, you young women, you older women, you can use the same words as you want because it's the heart. Give me a heart like Mary. Be it done to me according to your word. And that's the, I guess I would say, the advice I would leave with you this morning after looking at all that's gone on. There was a plan here. And God was working His plan in these women. And I think God has a plan for each one of us if we were, will be yielded to Him. If we can say, be it unto me according to your word. That's how I'd like to leave it with you this morning. Turn it over to Gary now.